So this morning we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, as we continue our study in the book of Galatians. We'll be looking at several Old Testament passages as well, uh, not turning to all of them, but just alluding to them, because it's again, Paul borrows a lot from the Old Testament as he is teaching us these things, because, well, the Old Testament has the same teaching, the same Savior, and the same salvation that we have today. And so as we come to the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to have hearts that are ready to hear and receive it. We are so easily thrown off course by the smallest things of the world, even something as simple and mundane as the fact that it's raining outside can throw us for a loop. But you are never faltering. You are singularly focused in your ways and you have saved the people for all time for yourself. And we are among those because of what you've done for us. So Lord, to that end, help us, your people. Straighten our hearts. Show us the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at Galatians chapter 3, Paul is going to quote from several places in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is not a book that you would typically think of, okay, I need to go and understand it in order to understand the gospel. But that is absolutely the case. We do need to look at it. Paul knew that. Deuteronomy chapter 27 has this list of curses in it. You can look at those if you'd like. We're not going to read through all of them because it's not an exhaustive list of curses, but it's a long list of things that would cause a person to be cursed if they did that thing. Israel had wandered for years in the desert And it was now time for them to go into the promised land in the coming years. Moses was also nearing death, and there were a few things that he had to give the people. And so what he had happen here in Deuteronomy 27 is half of the tribes went and were on one mountain, on Mount Gerizim, and the other half went and got on another mountain, Mount Ebal, and they were going to shout the blessings and curses of the Lord back and forth to each other. A kind of call and response, worship, which is what we still incorporate into our services today. And they started with the curses. I encourage you to read them on your own time, Deuteronomy chapter 27. But the last one, the ones that it ends with, says this, it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Which kind of sums all of it up, right? And the people of the Lord responded by saying, Amen. Which is to say, we absolutely agree that if people don't do the law, they should be cursed. And then just keep reading in Joshua and Judges and further. They don't. They don't confirm the words of the law by doing them. In fact, they do just the opposite over and over again. And so what do the people of the Lord suffer throughout the Old Testament over and over again? Curses. Because the Lord is faithful. 
he follows through with his promises to curse those who do not follow the law. And we've been all over the Old Testament in the last seven years here at Redeemer. We have been all over the New Testament too. And we know that the Lord doesn't change. He continues to act in that same way. Thanks be to God that there is a way out. That there's a way to undo that curse. Jesus is the way out. As we continue in Galatians today, we're going to see this very idea. Call to righteous living measured against our inability to live that way. And we're left in that, if we were left in that state, we'd all be doomed. But instead, we have rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the freedom to live then as we ought to live. So as we consider this passage, I'm going to break it into three ideas. First, relying on works, and then relying on faith, and then finally resting in Christ. So with that, let's look together at the text. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 10, reading through verse 14. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather... The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So remember last week, as we looked at the passage last week, verses 6 through 9, we went back to Genesis. We saw the foundation of God's covenant that he made with Abraham. And remember, most importantly, that God brought Abraham to the covenant ceremony and then made him go to sleep over there on the side. And God made the covenant with himself that he would have a people for himself through the patriarch Abraham. But it wasn't because of Abraham's faithfulness. It was because of God's own covenant faithfulness. And Christ, one of the parties of that covenant, was the ultimate fulfillment of all those blessings that would come to the children of Abraham and through them to the whole world. Abraham believed in those promises. And then what do we read? That belief in those promises was counted to him as righteousness. Belief that he had was a gift to him. And the righteousness that was counted to him was the righteousness of Christ. So as we get into the text today, we see the same idea going forward, that the believer has the righteousness of Christ and therefore should live according to that righteousness, and that the righteous should live by faith. That idea, the righteous shall live by faith, was the spark of the Reformation over 500 years ago and remains a central doctrine of the faith today. Is a central doctrine that we are so quick to toss out. Very few people, mind you, very few people are running around saying, I am saved because I'm a good person. That There are people that say that kind of thing, but they're easily dismissed. No one says that out loud. We don't say it, we just believe it. 
and we hold others to that same standard. It's evident in the way that we view ourselves, the way that we treat others, and how we worship God. Our works are incapable of moving the needle of our righteousness, which starts at zero before we're even born. That brings us to the first point, relying on works. Look with me again at verse 10, Galatians chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So in this verse, we see Paul quoting from Deuteronomy 27, which I mentioned in the intro. Paul would have been very familiar with that list of curses in Deuteronomy, both because he was a Pharisee and he would have been versed in the law, probably even memorizing most of the first five books of the Old Testament, and also because when the Jewish courts would would deliver the punishment known as 39 lashes plus one, they would recite these curses in Deuteronomy to the one that they were delivering the curses to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read that Paul received those lashes no less than five times because he preached the gospel in the synagogue to Jews that Jesus alone saves. Five times he received those 40 lashes and each of those times those curses would have been recited to him. Why did they recite those curses? It was to instill in a lawbreaker that breaking the law brought the curse of God. And I guess they equated the curses of God with lashes from a whip. They considered it a teaching kind of thing. So you can imagine that as Paul was receiving that last lash, he was hearing those words of Deuteronomy 27:26, which he would later write in Galatians 3:10. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. It brings up an interesting question, one that we need to ask, one that you've probably asked at some point in your Christian life. Could a person be saved by their works if they lived a perfect life? If someone were to start today and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live a sinless life. Well, there are groups of people who believe that a person can achieve this idea of Christian perfection, or sometimes you'll hear it called in a more theological term as an entire sanctification. Basically the idea that a person can eventually reach a spot in their life where they're no longer sinning. They're no longer going to sin on this side of heaven, included with the fact that they're not going to sin when they're in heaven. Of course, the problem with that idea is you can't find it at all in Scripture. So it just kind of throws it out from the beginning, not even loosely found there. Instead, you find the opposite over and over again, especially when men like Paul, look at their own lives and say, I am the chief of sinners. Paul knew the state of man before Christ also, which was completely unrighteous. He wrote of it several times in his letters. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans, there are none righteous, no, not one. Again, Romans, your children of wrath, sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 Moses wrote about it. Every intention of the heart of man was only evil continually. Genesis 6-5. We call this doctrine in reform circles, we call it total depravity. Not the idea that man is as bad as he could possibly be, but the idea that man is completely fallen. 
in his nature. There is no amount of righteousness that could ever be drummed up in order to achieve the standard of righteousness that God has set before us. There's no possible way that we could ever do that. And we're born this way. It's not as if we start one day. We're born this way. Again, it's not as if a baby is born innocent. Sure, we want to think that. And then actually sins at some point in their life and becomes accountable. You've probably all heard of the age of accountability and all that silliness. It's just not in the Bible anywhere. People like it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But everyone in here who has ever had a baby realizes, and they can fully affirm, that a child does not have to be taught to sin. They show their sin nature very soon after we meet them. So the question, could we ever work to save ourselves? No, we couldn't. And even if we somehow could achieve sinless perfection, we couldn't overcome the original sin, the original curse that we're born with. And a quick survey of human history and a survey of our own lives included in that history demonstrates our inability to add one single bit of righteousness to our own plates. I love how the Heidelberg Catechism puts it. Heidelberg question and answer 13 says, Can we make this payment ourselves concerning the payment that we owe to God? Can we make this payment ourselves? And the answer is certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. So when those Jewish tribes stood on that mountain, Mount Ebal, all those years ago and recited those curses in Deuteronomy 27, the curse that sealed our fate without Jesus was spoken. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Without Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who are hearing this, without Jesus, we are cursed. And in Him, it's the exact opposite. We are blessed. We are redeemed. And we live by faith. And that brings us to the second point, relying on faith. Look with me, Galatians 3, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> now it is evident that no one is justed, or no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In order to get a better understanding of this, I think it's helpful for us to see where Paul is quoting from here. This is also quoted in Romans uh, chapter one verse seventeen, which was the first that which was the verse that Roman Luther, or Roman Luther, Martin Luther read in Romans, and it challenged him. Right, it made him made him think differently about his faith that the righteous lives by faith. Well. Paul quotes this twice. Where does he quote it from? Well, he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2. So turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. Ooh, I got lucky and turned right to it. Habakkuk chapter 2. So real quick, just some context before I read this. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the Lord, is, tells, the pro- the Lord tells the prophet Habakkuk, that he's going to raise up the Babylonians to take over Judah because of the sins of Judah. Again, alluding to the curses that we've talked about. 
And Habakkuk is, of course, not happy about the fact that a bunch of pagans are going to come over and take over the people of God. And so Habakkuk gets to the point where he asks some questions of the Lord there in chapter 1. And then starting at verse 2, he says this. Starting at chapter 2, sorry, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. This is the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. So what's going on here? Again, Habakkuk is having none of it. He asked the Lord a series of questions. Basically, why would you send this horrible judge on your wonderful covenant people. And verse 1, he's like, I'm just going to sit here and wait in my watchtower until you give me an answer. The Lord was gracious enough to to give him an answer. And in verse 4, notice his answer. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The Lord is making a distinction between how the Babylonian king, who the Lord is going to raise up and you read about in chapter 1, and how this Babylonian king is living versus how the people of the Lord should live. For the Babylonians, they were puffed up. The word picture here is a a kind of swelling up that doesn't have any foundation. Like it's swelling up that doesn't have a purpose behind it at all. It's like emptiness. The Babylonians had no reason at all to be puffed up, right? Because why were they even brought into power in the first place? It was the Lord who raised them up to do the job they were going to do, and it's going to be the Lord then who, after they're finished with that job, He's going to crush them with another tool that He is going to raise up to do just that. They had absolutely no reason to be puffed up by themselves. They had done nothing to earn their place, and their place would soon go away as the Lord saw fit. Notice the contrast. How are the people of the Lord to live? They were to live by faith. Which should remind us of what we read last week when Abram saw the faithfulness of God as he saw the stars in the sky. And he said, the Lord said, so shall your people be. And Abraham believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Rather than puffing themselves up with empty air, the people of God were to rely on him were to live by faith and to see Him as the one who delivered them and that is still holding them up. There's no reason for them to be puffed up at all. They were to raise God up instead. And this helps us even more to see the power behind Paul's initial words in chapter 3. Why was Paul so upset? Because the Galatians had nothing at all to be puffed up about. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It is absolutely foolish to think that you, a sinner from birth, and a sinner sinner continually after that by choice, could ever have anything to be puffed up about at all. And that you could ever rely on anyone other than the one who saved you according to his merit, not yours. 
And that's why Paul says what he says in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. This is evident. It's clear as day. There's no other way to be. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. Because there's no other way for them to live. The only other option is death. There's nothing to be, to nothing to be proud of other than Christ. We can't live according to something that is not, that we're not doing ourselves. We have to have faith. So then we must rely on the faith that we have in Jesus. The faith that we have in Jesus is a gift of God so that no one can boast. The very thing that we have to rely upon has been given to us as a gift. And because it's a gift, it's a gift that doesn't have any strings attached either. Meaning that it's not going to be pulled back all of a sudden when we start doing something wrong. That's the incredible part about the gift. There's no strings attached because it's measured with the righteousness of Christ. It's a perfect gift that lasts for all eternity. We can't make it any better. We know that. But we also can't make it any worse. Which is why we can rest. And that brings us to the last point, resting in Christ. Verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanging on a tree. So understand, the curse that we were due because we could not abide by all the things in this book of the law that we read from, that we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 27, Christ took that curse upon himself. How was he able to do it? What did he do that made him different from us? Well, he did abide by all the things that were written in the book of the law. He did everything. Not just most of them. He didn't, he wasn't just better than us. He's perfect. He's a hundred. We're zero. There is a sharp distinction there. And with that, we are no longer looking then for justification from the law. We are justified by God in Christ because of the righteousness that we have in Him. Because He actually did all the things right. In Deuteronomy 21, we read about another curse. And it's the one that Paul quotes from here. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. In Deuteronomy 21, it's the last bit of that chapter. If a man committed a crime that was punishable by death, he was executed. And then after his execution, he was to be hung on a tree. His body was to be hung on a tree. And this exposure to the elements was a sign. It was a sign of a curse. A sign to the people that the same kind of curse would come on them if they acted in the same way. Right? It's like a fear tactic sort of thing. Our Lord Jesus was hung on a tree. He died on the tree. But he was not a criminal. He didn't have to be taught a lesson. He already knew him. I'm the one that needs to be taught a lesson. And when I look at the cross, when we look at the cross, we aren't seeing what might happen to us if we continue in our sin. We are seeing what won't happen to us because He didn't sin. He took the curse. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. And through that, those curses are no longer pronounced on us. Rather, 
What do we read? That we're going to receive this wonderful blessing. The promised blessing as a child of God. The promise of the Holy Spirit. We could spend a lot of time here on verse 14. But you hear me say this every week as we come to prepare for the Lord's table. The Spirit is our guarantee. The picture of this promise that we have is a seal of our faith that promises that the promises of God will indeed come true. When Abram was told that all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through him, that the people of God would inherit the promised land, that the blessed that the the blessing that he was that was promised to us as his people was the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And with the coming of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity dwells within the people of God. We say that way too often as Christians for it to really sink in what's going on here. The third person of the Trinity, the one that hovered over the deep in Genesis chapter 1, is now in us even intercedes on our behalf, prays for us when we don't even know what to say for ourselves, who is there in us and with us all times. And this is a sign of God's covenant faithfulness. It's a guarantee that God will keep His covenant promises. And we receive those promises by faith and we live then according to that faith. And maybe you're here this morning, you're understanding this for the first time, and for the first time you're understanding this idea that Jesus took the curse that we were owed upon himself. You may be thinking, I'm like one of those Babylonians that we read about in Habakkuk 2. I'm the one that's puffed up for no, with no reason to be. I'm trusting in myself for salvation. If you're thinking that thing, it's because the Lord is working on your heart. Know that your own righteousness before the Lord is filthy rags before a holy God and that your trusting in your own merit will earn you the eternal curse of God. Rather than trusting yourself, believe in Christ. Believe in Jesus, the one who, because of his righteousness, his righteousness can be counted to you as well. He is good and he is faithful. He will forgive those who call upon his name. Call upon his name and be saved. In conclusion, for those of us who are in Christ, what then are we called to do? We can't make Jesus any better with our works, but we also can't make Him any worse. Praise be to God. And so what should we do? We should rest. The curse is gone. Jesus became the curse. We're redeemed from the curse. And so then we live by faith. Rather than living by your own righteousness, which is just an empty kind of puffing up, live by faith that was given to you. Rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the lost world needs this message. They're not being told anything like this. They need this message, a world ravaged by fear and doubt. Now more than any time I can remember in my own lifetime, give them the message of hope and deliverance. Preach Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer, there's probably even some of us here that have fears and doubts. And none of them are justified when we look to you. The author, perfecter of our faith, 
the one that holds the whole world together, the one who sees all things and says, it is good. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in you. That we would live, that we'd be ones who live by the faith that was given to us and that we would rest in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.